7 through 11. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Y'all pray with me. Lord, as we read this scripture, um, pray that we recognize our shortcomings and our failings and that without the work of your son, that we are all not worthy. I pray as we come together uh, and continue to worship that we focus our eyes on you, uh, prepare our hearts to hear your message this morning, to remind us that our goal here on this side of eternity is not about us, but it's about you and your kingdom. Thank you for that reminder of that this morning and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue with our worship of our Savior as we sing, I'd rather have Jesus. Yeah. 
God, may our rest be completely in you. May we watch and wait as we look at the cross and we look at what you've done for us. Because our hope is in the resurrection from the dead. What you did for us price you paid and that you conquered sin and death we have blessed hope and one day we'll have rest in your presence as we pass from this life to the next but until that time God I pray that you will give us boldness and strength and courage do what you're calling us to do, to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. God, I pray that the people we come in contact with today, tomorrow, and the rest of this week who do not know you, may we realize that those are divine appointments by you to be a light and to share Jesus.
so that they could turn to the cross and that they could have that hope eternal. May we be excited to share about the wonderful message of Jesus. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Wow, that sounds like an interruption. It's been a while since we've heard that. I hope your day's going a little bit better than mine. Uh, I had to go back home after we arrived at the church uh, to pick up my notes that I left at home. And then during our first uh, song that we were singing together, I had to go back to my study and pick up a page of notes that I left again. So maybe we should just go ahead and leave now. I don't know. But before we do, I want to I share a couple of things uh, with you. Your uh, generosity and what you're doing to send uh, medical, the medical community out for a free meal at Bruno's has been so uh, richly received. They are loving that. They're very grateful for that. And I want to thank you for your generosity. Sometimes we wonder, how do all those things happen? Well, you as a church decided that you wanted to do that. And so we didn't ask you to give any more money. We just said, would you faithfully give? And I hope that you're continuing to give during this COVID season, that your uh, pocketbook is not in quarantine during this time. Then we would faithfully give because God has given us the opportunity to minister beyond the walls of our church. And this is one of those ways. Uh, when you walk over to the sanctuary, some of you ask, how is it going over there? And you look around, uh, we're probably a month or so away from getting back in there. But you recall that everything over there was, uh, we don't have a campaign for that. The only campaign that we have for raising the money that had already been raised because of your generosity was, let's just keep giving. And I hope that all of us will be faithful to do that regardless of what church you're in, even if you're not a part of Westgate, faithfully give through the local church. And tonight, we have another opportunity. It won't cost you a thing, but our men's ministry kicks off uh, this evening at 6.55 at Tinseltown. We were looking for the Kendricks Brothers' newest movie as an opportunity for us to go as men, and it's already uh, left the area, came and, came and went quickly. But the 10th anniversary version of Courageous is being shown at Tinseltown just this week only. And so we reserve most of the theater over there at 655 men. We would encourage you to go and take your wife. Uh, it is such a powerful movie that reminds us of the magnitude of being a man, a husband, a father that is following hard after God. And what I really like about it is that it moves the emotions. I can't always move your emotions. Warren can't always move your emotions. Prayers can't always move our emotions. Sometimes our emotions need to be uplifted and jolted, and this movie certainly does that. And I hope that you will plan 
to be there as men. Jeff will be on the other side of that wall out in the atrium, and you can pick up a ticket before leaving, or you can meet us at the theater, Tinseltown, 655 tonight. Just out of curiosity, how many of you think you might be going, just so we'll have a, a rough idea if we need to go buy more tickets? Okay, I hope you'll be there, uh, and uh, if you're not, you'll miss out on a great opportunity. I know you got a lot going on, uh, but I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Well, um, today we come to John chapter 8. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses. What's in your arsenal? For the last several years, Capital One has been asking us, what's in your wallet? And as we get to John chapter 18, we need to ask, what's in your arsenal? Or as Texans might say, what's, what's in your holster. That might sound like a, a bit of an extreme question. We, we say, well, goodness, we're, we're in an age in which we're focusing on peace. We don't want to have conflict and turmoil. We, we see enough of that. But as we get to John chapter 18, we're going to see that we are about to witness the greatest battle that has ever been waged. And we think, well, there have been a lot of significant battles. We have two that are called the world wars. And, and when FDR was trying to put a name on what would have ultimately become called the Second World War. He wanted to name it the War of Survival because we were fighting for our lives. John chapter 18 gives a picture of a battle that is far more significant than any battle that has ever been fought on this planet. It is cosmic warfare, more significant than any nuclear exchange. Hopefully we will never see, but if we did, more significant than that because it is a battle for the souls of humanity. And we as a church need to embrace that. We need to see that because oftentimes we feel like the, the battles are for, for other things, to make sure that our kids get a good education, to make sure that we have enough money in the bank, to make sure that we have a good, solid job, to make sure that we are safe, to make sure the right people get elected. And we can focus on many things, but we need to recognize that the greatest need of anybody's life is to be right with Jesus Christ. Because every single day, there is a battle for the souls of humanity. So this morning, we're going to consider three weapons in John chapter 18. And I'd like to read that. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. We'll look at John 18. We're going to go through uh, just through verse 11. It says 14 on the screen, but we're going to go just through verse 11 today. It says, when, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Gidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Jesus, now, excuse me, as Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Some translations would say clubs. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered again, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. 
This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. John says the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And in verse 12, it tells us the detachment of soldiers then took Jesus and arrested him. Let's pray together. God, move in our midst, we pray. We're reminded of life's experiences that have become cumulative for all of us over these past couple of years. We've seen the ruthlessness of political parties waging war against each other. We've seen all of humanity trying to fight against a virus. We've seen that angst spill over into divisiveness among common people. And Lord, it is not beyond the church, for we have experienced it as well. We are not unscathed. We are not untouched. Every last one of us, we feel it. Lord, we look for you to do something new and fresh. Sometimes we look for something very exciting. But in the midst of the heaviness of lamentations, we're reminded that your mercies are new every morning. Not exciting, but new. Your mercies, your goodness, your graciousness, your relationship. And just as we have seen through Scripture this morning, the desire for us to know you. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a God who is aloof, standing on a distant shore. You long for us to know you. Thus, you have come down to be a part of humanity and to save us from our sins. Lord, as we look at this pivotal chapter, we're reminded of this, the enormity of this event, one that is not paralleled by anything in human history. Please open our eyes and our hearts. Restore our souls, and as your word says, refresh our minds. And may your word that is living and active go to the very core of who we are. To penetrate maybe a heart that has grown complacent or calloused or hard or indifferent. Revive us, we pray. Move in our midst. Speak to us. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Judaism didn't impact the world. They thought they had, but all they had to do was look around the area of Jerusalem and beyond, and they would know that they were dominated by the Romans. Judaism didn't impact the Roman world, but Christianity would ultimately not only impact it, but overwhelm it. And here it is, John chapter 18. We move into the last act of Jesus' life. 
John wants us to see so significantly what is happening in these closing days of Christ's life. Nearly half of what he speaks of is found in the Passion Week. He talks about Jesus walking over the Gidron Valley. Significant because we've heard that before in Scripture. If you've been reading through the Bible, it wasn't that long ago that we read the story in which David is fleeing Jerusalem because his son Absalom has betrayed him as his closest advisor. And now Jesus is walking across the same valley a thousand years later, being betrayed by a dear friend. Gidron means of the cedars. Don't you love the smell of cedar? I do. I was reading through the Bible, a couple of the, not through the whole Bible, this portion of the Bible the other day, and it talked about the paneling that was in the temple and all of it being paneled with, with cedar. It got me thinking, man, I, I love the smell of cedar. I love going into a cedar closet and, and smelling that. And I went over to Walmart and I looked it up online and they had this bag of cedar and I was so confident this is something I want to put in my, my little office study. It's, it's called a, a, a clothis, closet in an office. I thought, man, that smells so good. I went to Walmart and the bag was about as big as your hand. Couldn't even smell cedar anywhere. Think of it. Jesus walking across of the cedars. Thinking about the Holy of Holies. The paneling of the cedars in the temple. As he stepped across, he was reminded of all of the hundreds of thousands of lambs being sacrificed that week, that week of Passover. And there was a large drain that came from the altar by the temple that drained down some 600 feet to the Gidron Valley. Putting all of the blood of those lambs down there, it would flow. And here is Jesus walking across at night. Moonlit night, it's, it's full moon because of the Passover. You probably couldn't see the blood because of the nighttime. But no doubt when he was arrested, he had that blood stained to his feet. When we look at this chapter of Scripture, we're going to see three significantly different weapons being used in this battle for the souls of man. The first one is the weapon of physical strength. Look back at verse 2. It says, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met them there. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches and lanterns, weapons, clubs. Interesting picture here. Jesus, a week before, not even a week before, had, had ridden into Jerusalem and demonstrated that he came in peace. And all of the people were cheering for him. And Hosanna, save us now, they were crying. As he came in with these throngs of people, there was a thought that a riot might erupt if they tried to take Jesus by force. So they got Judas to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. You remember before Judas had left? Right before they were taking the Lord's Supper. Why? Because he was not a believer. And John would say, it was night 
when Judas left. And we've seen this like, well, yeah. But he wasn't trying to tell us what it looked like outside. He was trying to tell us what it looked like inside. Judas left the light of the world to stumble in the darkness as so many people do. And here he is coming to betray Jesus with soldiers. How many? We don't know exactly, but there would be several hundred of them. Jesus never talked about a riot or a revolution. He simply talked about a kingdom, his kingdom. And here are all these soldiers. And the irony is they're all brought together for the common theme of arresting Jesus. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They hated the Romans. Romans didn't care much for them either. But the Jews and the Romans came together. Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like each other much either. But they came together as the Sanhedrin. And here they are together, and all of them coming out to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus with weapons and swords and light. I think it's a picture of how sometimes we believe the kingdom of God will come. We'll have the best debate, the best argument. We'll amp it up. We'll bully. We'll push people around. But the kingdom of God doesn't come that way. Remember what Zechariah said in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6? It's not by might, nor by power, but, but, but by my spirit, says the Lord. These were as tough as soldiers as you could get. Soldiers of the priests, they were tough enough, but here was a, a Roman, not a battalion, but a portion, several hundred of them. That's one weapon we might use in life. But what about the second weapon? The second weapon of, of pride. And these two weapons are going to sit like a bookend because the real meat of this message is coming in just a couple of minutes. And I know for some of you that are already checked out, that's good news. You can just catch up a little bit later. But here are the bookends in which the weapon of strength, the physical strength, brute force, and the weapon of pride see that John is writing two decades after Jerusalem had already fallen. It's not about strength. Jerusalem had already been waylaid by the Romans. Peter had been dead for a couple of decades. So as he's writing back about his friend, this friend that he walked through the book of Acts with, he says of him as we look down in verse 10, it says that Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. So much has been said about this particular scenario. Some would say he's a fisherman. He couldn't wield a sword very well. It could be that in the darkness, he couldn't tell what he was swinging at. It could be he just wanted to cause a ruckus. He wanted to show that he was in the fight. But you know what? In the midst of all of it, Peter is demonstrating his pride. He has seen the power of Jesus, as we just read, in which Jesus spoke, and the Roman soldiers fell to the ground. So Peter is saying, this is the moment. He's been talking about the kingdom coming. This is the moment. John, James, you guys were vying for the number one spot. I'm going to take it. And he, he thinks, we can't be overcome. Jesus is with us. Look what he has already done. But... He was fighting against the very thing that Jesus was trying to do. You ever do that? 
I call it getting out over my skis. And uh, if you've ever skied and you get out over your skis too far, you know that you're about to have a very bad fall. I can think of just two instances, and I'm sure my staff could tell you 15 or 20. But I know of two very specific instances, even this week, where I got out over my skis, thinking that this is what I needed to do, and then I look back with hindsight, and I think, what was I thinking? I'm sure none of you have done that. So this is just kind of personal confession. But as I was thinking of that, so oftentimes we think we have a better plan than the Lord. And our pride erupts, leading us to a bad spot. John, in many ways, ignores Judas. He refers to him several times here, not in any flattering way. He's not still bitter. This was decades ago. But he knows that the other Gospels have already talked about Judas. But he refers to Judas as being there, the one who is betraying him. Judas thought he had a better plan. Jesus really wasn't going to bring the kingdom in the way it needed to come in in Judas's mind. So he said, I will collaborate with the religious leaders, even with the Romans, if that will help, so that we can get this thing going. He wanted to cash in on an opportunity, thinking he had a better plan. You ever been there? That's where he was. Peter, Judas, both. Our weapon is not physical strength. Our weapon is not pride or insight. Our weapon is the omniscience of God. And this is where the real meat of the message hits. Because it talks about the omniscience, uh, the omnipotence of God. You see, Jesus didn't go to the garden to hide. Remember the Garden of Eden? What happened there? Adam and Eve were in the garden and they they hid. But Jesus goes to the garden to be found. Why? Because he knew that Judas would know that's where they would be. And he knew that Judas was betraying him. So he was setting down the breadcrumbs for Judas to find him. There's no hide and go seek here. And he's not hiding from sin. That's what Adam and Eve were doing. They were hiding because of their sin. And Jesus is in the garden confronting sin, reminding us, the great truth that the first Adam failed, but the second Adam, Jesus, succeeded in salvation. So we read through this passage of Scripture, we see that, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Nobody took it away. So important for us, us to see that because when you have hundreds of Roman soldiers, with the, the, chief, the, the, the soldiers of the chief priest, and they're all coming together at night, and every last one of them is armed with a weapon, and only Peter has this little dagger. It might look like they're the ones that are in charge. But listen again to these words. If you have your Bible, turn back and look at these words again in John chapter 18, verses 4 through 9. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him. There's the omniscience of God. He already knows everything, and he doesn't shrink back. He went out and asked them. He wasn't hiding behind the rock that he, that he had prayed over. He wasn't hiding behind the, the grove of olives. He went out and he met them. And he said, who is it you want? And they're feeling confident. They know who they look, they're looking for. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says, I am. Your English translation says, 
I am, I am He. That's to help us to understand what He is saying. But He goes back, and we find that this particular statement, 11 times in the New Testament, nine times in the Gospel of John, goes back to Exodus chapter 3, when God identified Himself as the great, I am the one that we've sung about. And when, it said, when He said, I am, and then John says, and Judas was standing right there with Him the one who was stumbling in the dark, he, along with everybody else, drew back and fell to the ground. Friends, if we could double the size of this room with armed guards, we would get a sense of who was there. And Jesus simply steps out and says, I am. And they fall to the ground. He is letting it be known that no one is taking his life, as he said in John 10, 18. And it's a precursor of what will happen at the end of time. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 10? It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And in that moment, when he said, I am, the name was proclaimed and every knee went down. Can you imagine what that was like? Romans didn't cower from anybody. They took delight in dying for the cause of Rome. Yet every last one of them, with their swords and their lanterns and their weapons, they fell to the ground. The mob had greater fear of the one that they were trying to arrest. Jesus had no fear. I wonder if there was some stuttering going on when Jesus asked them again, who is it you want? They're on the ground. Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, sir? And Jesus said, I told you. I am. If you're looking for me, let these go. It's a picture of His divine protection. That was the church right there. Those 11 guys were the church. And Jesus is saying, Peter, if you'll put that sword up, we'll get this church thing started. He says, I'm trying to protect you because if you try to start a riot right now, they're going to kill you guys, and it won't be the plan of God. Of course, the sovereignty of God always will prevail. James Hamilton, the author of the ESV expository commentary on John, wrote, Jesus disarmed his enemies with a willing surrender. It wasn't in weak. It was in pure strength. He stood up and let them arrest him. In John 20, verse 31, John gave the purpose of writing this gospel. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And that knowledge would lead to us believing in Him and gaining eternal life. So in these brief verses of Scripture, he is communicating the omnipotence of who Christ is, the one who spoke the world 
into existence. And all that we know speaks the word to identify, guys, you are in over your head. That This is God's sovereign plan. So arrest me. And he did that. Why? For you and for me in every empty chair in this room. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to have eternal life. So what's in your arsenal as you walk through this season of life? It's a challenging season of life, no question. It's been hard on all of us. What's in your arsenal? Are you trying to do it with physical strength? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Press on, soldier on, keep going? Sleep less, work harder? Is it pride? You leaving that, that we can outwit everybody else and thus advance the kingdom of God? This last Thursday, I was gathered with a group of ministers in which we were on our faces before God, saying, God, would you do a work in our lives? Surrendering, humbling ourselves. It's time to lay down any pride that we might have. Any. Are we depending upon the omnipotence of God? The power of God? To know that more will be wrought through prayer than anything else. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-4. through 4. Remind us that our battle, our weaponry, is not the weaponry of this world, but it's the arsenal of God, and through that we will break down strongholds. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, where talk, Paul talks about the, the armor of God, not being a physical armor, but the spiritual armor of God. So let me ask you a question. What's in your arsenal? It's been humorously stated, you don't want to show up for a gunfight with a knife. Are we showing up for a gunfight with a squirt gun? We need the arsenal of the omnipotent God in our lives. If you've never received Christ, I want to tell you again, Friends, that's the greatest need of your life. To recognize the love of God, that He loves you and wants a relationship with you so that you can know Him, not know about Him. The knowing about God has run its course in Western Christianity. We've had enough courses, we've had enough times together to know about God. We need to know God. And the only way that we can know Him is through Jesus Christ, to receive him as Lord and Savior of our lives. And as demonstrated by the soldiers and all the guards, it starts by humbly falling on your face and recognizing who he is. Join me in this prayer. And if you've never received Christ, I pray that you would do so today. Father, as we recognize the magnitude of this moment, feeling our lives overrun by so many things and 
here we are interrupted again to see something that maybe feels a little bit irrelevant or dated or insignificant, but we have seen today that the greatest battle we will ever know was won victoriously by you. And we would be fools to not be on the winning side with Christ. Lord, if any of my friends listening now have never received Christ, I pray today that they would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for those of us who have already committed our life to Christ, may we this day recognize what we need most is your presence in our life. We are tempted to believe in moments of desperation. We need to grab onto something to make a change. And you are the someone that we need to grab onto. Lord, I'm fully convinced that you are pruning your people shaping us to be more into the image of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your will with each one of us, that we would be fully surrendered to any and everything you want to do in our lives. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Every one of them facing a struggle, a challenge. Some want to give up. Some are looking for something new. Some are wondering, what do we need to do? God, may we see we need to turn to you. I pray that you would give them that refreshment that your word speaks of. Find their souls restored in your presence. Oh, Lord, may your favor and blessing be upon each one of these, my friends. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you pray to receive Christ in the last couple of moments, I hope that you'll join us in sharing your great news with us. You can meet us at the desk on the other side of that wall at either one of the, the exits on the way out. But as I've said uh, several times now, just grab someone next to you. Anybody in this room can tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Just turn to them and say, help me. Help me to get where I need to be with God. So let's stand together and let's respond in worship. Yeah. 